you were able to be here last week, uh, or if you caught it online since last week, uh, you might remember that I talked about last week's topic on suffering uh, and this week's topic on the question of how could a loving God uh, send people to hell, that those two questions, I think when you look at them uh, in comparison to all of the other questions or topics we're looking at, uh, these are particularly difficult topics, even for people who claim to be Christians. You know, some of our, our discussion in, in apologetics has been about what do you do with somebody? How do you respond to somebody who's outside the faith, maybe is an atheist, maybe doesn't believe that God exists or doesn't, doesn't want to believe in the same type of, of, of loving, just, all-knowing, all-powerful, the Yahweh God that we believe in. And so tonight's, tonight's question, I think, is even deeper because this, I will be honest with you, this, this is a question uh, that, that we as a staff uh, over the years, uh, both uh, really the 13, almost 13 years next month that I've worked here that, that we've wrestled with, even answering with people inside our congregation. Uh, and they've come to us either with something they've read, uh, a popular author, a popular writer, a popular speaker. Uh, I've even had someone kind of sit down with me and make a, a full-on presentation uh, to me about their belief that, and, and, a, and, a, and a not so uncommonly held belief that, that in the end, God's going to redeem everyone and everyone's going to be in heaven. Uh, and so that's a topic we need to be prepared uh, to answer those questions, not, not just simply saying, well, yes, you know, hell exists and it's a place of punishment, which we'll get into that tonight, uh, but really be prepared to answer some of the tough questions uh, that people might have uh, about the existence of hell, how God is going to use that, and what we can learn now uh, in, in our lifetime about hell. And so I uh, just want to answer the question first for you, what, what is hell? What are some of the original, what are some of the basic, what are some of the foundational beliefs about hell? Where does, where does that come from? What did Jesus say? What did others in scripture say about hell? And then I look at what are, what are people saying today? And some kind of responses that people have to the Christian view about the afterlife and what happens to those who know Christ versus what happens to those that don't know Christ as their savior. So first century Jews, Jews in the time of Jesus, uh, they believed in hell. And this is in your notes, and then I'll add some things that are not in your notes as well. Their belief uh, was that it, that it is a place of punishment uh, for the wicked after they face God's judgment. Fire, darkness, and lamentation were some of the images uh, that were used in first century Jewish literature and discussion uh, to describe hell. Uh, some believed that those in hell would be destroyed at some point, uh, and they would just cease to exist while others believed and thought that it was a place of never-ending torment. Uh, just that those that would go to be with Christ would be with Christ forever. Those that were not believers and not with Christ would be in that place, the place of hell forever, and go through that never-ending torment. Uh, other descriptions we see, uh, one of them is that hell was literally a garbage dump. Uh, Gehenna uh, was a, 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 a name, a place uh, that Jesus referenced when we look at the word hell from Scripture, a place, uh, it was the garbage dump right outside of Jerusalem. Uh, so some people held a view, uh, early, early uh, first century folks uh, in Jesus' time held a view that it was a literal location outside of the city of Jerusalem uh, where the garbage was dumped. And, and you can think about then, okay, what we believe hell is and what happens there and how one finds their self there. You can say, okay, this is 
starting to make some sense now why some people would maybe believe that that's a place where basically the garbage is dumped. Uh, we get some, some places in Scripture where it's talked about in terms of being a lake of fire. Uh, and, and we have a generation, if not generations, of, of fire and brimstone preaching uh, where you, you hear that terminology used, that, that idea of condemnation, of damnation, God's wrath, uh, one of the famous sermons that, that would maybe fit this motif would be uh, the Jonathan Edwards sermon, Sinners in the, in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, there's been a, a more modern response uh, to that sermon, uh, a book that's writing, uh, a pastor that's writing uh, for, the, uh, for the existence and the, the idea uh, that hell um, does not exist, that it's not a place that people will spend an eternity. Uh, and the title of that book is Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. Uh, so if you want to venture out and to read something that will uh, obviously be something that I guess that probably none of you uh, would believe, but you want to know what somebody else who believes something differently than you would believe, uh, check that book out, Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. And then uh, our, our Roman Catholic friends uh, believe in a place called purgatory, and so we don't want to get the two places confused. Uh, the Roman Catholic tradition holds that purgatory is a place where those who are destined for heaven are, are for a temporary time purified uh, before entering heaven. And so sometimes you'll get into a discussion with someone and they may ask that question, well, what, what, what do you believe about purgatory? Well, obviously, from our, our, our Christian tradition, our Southern Baptist doctrine would not include any kind of holding room or waiting room or, or purification place. Uh, I would say it's, it's probably our generally held belief that the moment your physical life ends, you're before God. Did you know Jesus or did you not? Yes or no? And the answer to that question determines where one spends eternity. So that's what kind of the, the, the basic general foundation of the question, what is hell? Uh, because sometimes you'll want to get into, uh, or if you're drawn into one of these discussions with somebody, maybe not even having the, the proper understanding of the terminology would lead to a place where you're not really getting anywhere in that discussion with them because you're, you're, you're talking down one track and they're talking on another and there, there's no overlap in those two. Uh, there are a couple of modern authors and, and speakers that uh, one of them is a guy named Rob Bell. He's written a book called Love Wins. It's kind of another one of those, and I'll get to kind of explain more in depth about this book and kind of some things uh, from that ideology. Uh, but one of the things that kind of he bases his premises on is that hell's not a not a real place, uh, but more of a state of existence. That that your life is a living hell because of your sin. That it's not it's not about eternity. It's not about what happens after you die. It's about what ha what's happening right now. And we talked about some of that last week. Uh, in, in the in the message on and in the discussion on where suffering comes from and why it's in the world, uh, and then we also talked about it some on Sunday morning too. Just the the, the what sin's presence in our lives and in the world uh, brings on to us and brings into our world, and so that's something that we'll talk about. But what did Jesus say about hell? First thing that that he was clear about is hell is a place of punishment after judgment. Uh, the longest discourse on this is in Matthew chapter twenty five. Uh, verses 31 through 46. If you want to write that down and read that uh, in full later on, you can. Uh, but a couple of the highlights from that, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, is the longest and most detailed account uh, of the judgment day in all of the gospel. So you get a lot of detail about this time and this place when all will be judged. Uh, but basically the summary of it and kind of the crescendo uh, of this discourse by Jesus is that believers will be awarded everlasting life 
and unbelievers will be awarded everlasting punishment. Now, the second thing that he does several times throughout the Gospels, especially in Matthew, is that he describes hell using the imagery of fire and darkness and talks about it being a place where people lament. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 through 43 says, All of the causes of sin and all lawbreakers will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Matthew 13 also describes in several different places hell as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus is talking about eliminating sin from our lives, He says it's better to go without a limb that might have caused you to sin. If your eye caused you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to do that than to be thrown into the hell of fire. So he uses that fire descriptive term there to talk about hell and the reality of it. And then in Matthew chapter 22 and 25, he uses the terminology when talking about those that will go uh, to a place of separation from God for eternity, that they are cast out and they are cast into outer darkness. And so we see fire, the weeping, the lamenting, the gnashing of teeth, and the darkness motif all, all used in Scripture and the Gospels by Jesus to describe hell. And then the last one, it's a place of annihilation, a place of never-ending punishment. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, and then 45 and 46, he uses those two phrases, everlasting fire and everlasting punishment. And so obviously, uh, all of us are probably familiar with the destructive effects of fires. Uh, There's probably not a more, heading into the holidays, there's probably not a more frightening video uh, to watch uh, than a demonstration of uh, an old dead Christmas tree catching fire inside a a fake house. You know, fire departments and and other civic organizations will use those as a way of of, of letting people know about the safety that needs to be used when using real Christmas trees. And uh, that's, that's really scary to see how quickly Uh, the destruction can happen. Uh, We saw that in some of our western states and even more closer to home a few years ago during drought. uh, The the damage, the quick, uh, complete destruction that a wildfire can cause and eventually those those run out of things to burn Uh, or, or rain comes through and subsides or they're able to build a fire line and cut it off. And so you think about a place of everlasting fire and everlasting punishment. And those are some of the the images that Jesus use Jesus uses when he talks about about hell. Uh, later on in the New Testament, uh, Paul and, and Second Peter and Jude all have some things um, to say about hell. Paul, uh, his description uh, paints a picture of affliction, vengeance, punishment, and destruction for those who do not follow Jesus. Um, Acts chapter 17, when Paul is addressing a group of pagans, uh, not, not addressing the church, not addressing uh, a group of Jews, but aggr- ag- addressing some very worldly uh, pagans, some, some local leaders there. Um, he, he told them several things, quoted back some of their own poetry to them in this chapter. Uh, but the most pointed thing that he told them was that God was going to judge them if they did not repent of their sin. He was very clear about that. Uh, and then later on, on the urgency about Christ's second coming uh, and the wrath that follows, Paul wrote, God considers it just to repay affliction those who afflict you, to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with almighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And that's from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
verses 6 through 9. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the, pl- the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might. I think one of the things that we'll come back to that we'll see uh, that I think is, is so uh, disheartening about uh, the reality of hell is not the fire, it's not the punishment, it's not the agony, it's, it's the lack of, of presence of God. Uh, the, the, the complete and utter lack of presence of God. And so all the hope that we have as believers uh, that will be made complete and made real uh, when we're face to face with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how, how wonderful that will be, uh, the, the, the complete opposite of that uh, is the reality of hell. And so we're going to see kind of how we can maybe step into that as believers and, and begin to share with others uh, what it looks like uh, to come to know Jesus uh, and experience that hope in this life. Second uh, Peter and Jude, uh, they emphasize that hell is for evil angels and false teachers, uh, specific groups of people that kind of get singled out, uh, but they both affirm that it's a place of punishment for all unrighteous people. Uh, so several times throughout both of those books, Second Peter and Jude, several different mentions of punishment, judgment, condemnation, and specifically hell. And then obviously Revelation is another place in Scripture where we learn a little bit more about hell. It depicts a, a horrific place of wrath where those apart from Christ are separated from God forever. Uh, there's many different images of fire. Uh, we get the, 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 the picture of, the descriptor of, uh, the, the, the lake of burning sulfur. Um, and that suffering that will happen. And then the ultimate torment of hell isn't just, as I mentioned earlier, is not the fire or the darkness. It's the eternal separation from God. And we get this kind of, this is it. Uh, and the, the, the weight of that reality. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So uh, there in your notes, you've got kind of an all capitalized, bolded statement there. Uh, from the Christian perspective, it's clear that God will punish those who do not bow the knee to King Jesus. It's clear that there's punishment waiting for those who do not come to know Jesus and trust Him and turn their lives over to Him and repent of their sin. So then the question from the non-believer, the skeptic, the doubter, person who doesn't believe in God, even from some who claim to be a Christian is, uh, how could a loving God send people to hell? That, that's the question you're going to be asked, and, and that's the reality today. It's, it's taking a, a, a part of God's nature, something that, that we as Christians will say, yes, our, our God is perfectly loving. Uh, but our God is also perfectly just. And the question will be asked only from the side of the perfectly loving side. Your God is so loving. Why would He do this? Why, why would He allow someone to experience something so horrific uh, for eternity? And so here, here are some of the real issues. Uh, the first thing, for, I think, for these individuals that are in this place is that uh, while some of, the other, some of these other issues are all, all pertain to things in this life, whether or not you believe the Bible is true or not, uh, what, what you believe about suffering, what you believe about God's role with evil in the world, what you believe about uh, how we're to address those that say homosexuality is not a sin, how we're to address jo- those that, as we're going to look at, Jeff's added a week uh, when the schedule kind of got changed up, he added a week to talk specifically about how we're to address those that have an issue on, on gender and, and what, what God created, who God created us to be. All of those questions that we look at, and yes, there's an eternal perspective related to everything that we talk about, but, but this is the one that has to deal with what happens after a person dies. And there's no turning back from that. Once a person's life is over, there's no changing the reality of their, of their eternity. 
And so the difficulty for the non-believer in this is, is this is final. This is it. Now, now the sad part for a non-believer is just like they're, they're, they're angry that God would send someone to hell. They're angry that God would allow someone to go to hell. In some cases, they think that God chooses who does and who doesn't go to hell. Whatever their reason being for them, it's final. Uh, now, in the same way, heaven is final too. So, so for the believer, we have that hope. We have that assurance of our salvation. So for us, we're, we're with them in that. We, we can relate to an individual who says, you know, this, this, is, this is too much because there's just no hope for that. You can say, well, let me tell you about the hope that I do have. And, and, and talking about the reality of hell being final uh, will give you an open door to walk into uh, and have a conversation with an, an, an individual who may have a very, very legitimate issue with understanding, one, does hell even exist? Okay, if it does, is it really as horrific as, as we've seen that Scripture teaches it that it is? Uh, Jesus, we'll see in just a minute when we do this little Old Testament, New Testament comparison, uh, Jesus talked a lot more about wrath and judgment than a lot of the Old Testament prophets did. Uh, and some of them we'd compare a lot to the sinners in the hands of an angry God type sermon. Uh, so you can think about, think about that and just how, how important and how pressing that was uh, for Jesus himself. The second thing we see is that they're, they're going to say, someone's going to say, well, God can't be both loving and just. And I think that that's, to me, that's a, a fair argument to make for somebody that's not a believer. Like I can understand why somebody wouldn't be able to understand that. That, that well, you can't, if, if, if you're all loving, you can't judge people the way you say you're going to judge. And if you, if you end up judging people the way that Scripture says people are going to be judged, then you can't be all loving. Uh, but, but for us as believers, we know and have experienced firsthand God's love, God's grace, God's mercy. Uh, but, but at least not, not in the signs of ultimate or eternal judgment, but in, in, in experiencing justice and experiencing the forgiveness of sin, we've experienced the weight uh, of what sin does to us. Uh, because all of us as believers at some point in our lives came to a place when we were convicted of our sin. And it was that conviction that led us to, to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior and to follow after Him. And so it, it, we have a different understanding in that. And, and I think that there's a lot of difficulty because a lot of people see it, it's got to be either or. You know, either, either God is loving or God is just. Versus the argument that he's both and, versus the third argument that he's a little bit of some and a little bit of the other. And it depends on what you do in your life to earn or, or, or not earn that love. And so you're, as you're thinking about, again, thinking about thinking like someone who's not a believer, thinking like someone who, who maybe doesn't even believe in the existence of God, how might they think about the God that we know? And I think this is a very, very real, uh, very difficult conversation to have with someone is, is how can God both be loving and be just? Well, when we talk about the cross in just a minute and understand the cross, I think we'll see uh, more clearly how God can do both of those things. So then the next argument, okay, let's say somebody knows Scripture. They, they, they're not a believer, uh, they, they doubt the faith, they're anti-faith, they've been, they've been burned by the church, they've been burned by a, a person of faith, and they don't want anything to do with that. And so they're questioning you and they say, you know what, that, that, that Old Testament God, he was angry. 
He, he was full of wrath. He was full of vengeance. We saw that Sunday morning. He, he had a family stoned and burned uh, because of the sin of one person. Uh, we see that all throughout the Old Testament. Angry, vengeful, full of wrath. But also in the Old Testament, he's described as loving, as gracious, uh, even described as a tender father. And so you can see the, the true, the full nature of who God is all throughout the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, we, we not only have Jesus talking about God, but we have God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus sometimes presents himself to be the opposite of that angry, vengeful, wrathful God that so many people think that's the God of the Old Testament. Because Jesus talked about meekness, humility, kindness, turning the other cheek. But if you look closely at what he said, he talked a lot about judgment. He talked a lot about wrath. He talked a lot about the day when every person will be before God and stand before Him and, and, and be tried for their, 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 their belief in Jesus as Savior, uh, but also be judged according to what they did. And so you see both sides of those things. I think that for somebody who claims that the Old Testament God was just one way and the New Testament God was just one way, doesn't really truly know the full nature of who God is from Genesis 1 to the end of Malachi, and then from Matthew chapter 1 to the end of Revelation. And the fourth one, a very tough question. Who chooses hell? Does God choose hell for people? This is, I'm, I'm not stepping into a discussion on Calvinism tonight, so don't worry about that. But someone might say does, to you, does God choose hell for someone? Or do people choose hell by choosing their own way instead of turning their life over to God and trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? You have to kind of wrestle with that question, I think, yourself. Uh, and I think that would be a pretty, pretty easy wrestling match to get through. But then when you're having that more difficult conversation with someone who says, you know, certainly God wouldn't, would God really choose to send someone to hell? Like that, that kind of in their mind, they're thinking God is making that choice like, Okay, I, I don't have to do that. Yeah, I said that believers go here, non-believers go here, but, but these non-believers were really good people. They were really, really, really good people. So can God choose to not send them to hell? These non-believers were really, really, really horrible people. Like It's very obvious. Uh, one of the, the two texts that Jeff has referenced, and I've referenced it a couple times as well, the, the Rebecca McLaughlin text, the chapter on this topic starts... Uh, with with an illustration and a story about uh, two individuals that she went to high school with that ended up uh, becoming the two men uh, that attacked and, and set off the bombs and then killed the police officers uh, at the Boston Marathon uh, several years ago. Um, and so that, that kind of whole story, like that kind of evil that exists in the world and that kind of those types of people that, that we would classify way over here, like they, they don't deserve a chance. But what about, what about those people in that category that they're good people they did good deeds and they had done some better deeds than a lot of Christian folks, but they never knew Jesus Christ as their, as their Lord and Savior. Are they choosing hell? Is God choosing hell for them? Wrestling with that question. And so I think that as we think about what, what Jesus specifically said about those who come to know him and what Paul then wrote about and, then, and, and, and later on in the New Testament, we see very clearly uh, that, that, that the, the opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is something that's available for every single person. Uh, Jesus died whether one person would trust Him as Lord and Savior or whether every single person that would walk on the face of this earth after Him uh, would come to know Him as Lord and Savior. 
God knows there will be some that will not choose to be obedient and follow after Him. God knows there will be some that will reject His Son um, as their Lord and Savior. Uh, there will be a day when none of us, none of us will be able to do anything but bow before Christ. Uh, but for some, the, 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 the punishment, the judgment for not doing that in their lifetime uh, will be severe and will be everlasting. And then there's two schools of thought on, on universal, universalism. We need to address this tonight as well. Uh, universalists uh, believe they're, they're kind of in that Rob Bell love wins category. Uh, that God just loves everybody too much. God just loves His creation too much to let anybody go to hell. Now, there's several different ideologies on, on whether or not hell even exists or not in this camp. But, but the ultimate, um, kind of the ultimate reality for them boils down to two things. One, one, one school of thought is that God loves everyone, so He will save everyone. Hell is a real place, but it's not eternal, and, and everyone will be able to work towards repentance. It's almost like a, a, a secondary purgatory type place that, that the universalists believe that, yes, hell exists, uh, but it only exists to get people right. Then that way, at some point over time, they can be then, I guess, transferred over to heaven. Uh, so th those are the two schools of thought on, on, on universalism, that, that God loves everyone, so He's just going to save everyone. And that hell is, a, or the second thought, that hell is a real place, but it's not eternal, and that will help work everyone towards repentance. And then I need to tell you about a kind of a, a third uh, parallel mode of, of universalist thought, and this one's called hopeful universalism. And, and, and those that subscribe to kind of this ideology put it this way, we cannot say for sure that all people will be saved, but we cannot deny that that's not a possibility. Uh, so there's a group of people out there with the ideology that they cannot say definitively that everybody's going to be saved, but, but they're going to say, but, but we can't deny that that's not a possibility. So we're going to hang on to that hope that God is a universalist. And I think that one right there may be where more people, uh, I don't have any, any research or any scientific evidence to back this up, but I think that that might be where the most people who claim to be Christians uh, but, but struggle with this idea of hell and, and, and God using that as, as His mechanism for punishing those who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, that th this is their, their kind of hope. And, and, and just from, from knowing a few people who have been in this camp, uh, especially if you have a, a, a close friend, a, a relative, somebody that dies and you know for sure they didn't know the Lord. Uh, we were just talking about this uh, tonight before the Bible study about you know, uh, officiating funeral services and, and, and what, a, what, a, what a, a, a privilege that is for a believer, for their friend or family member to be asking you uh, to do that, but then also for someone who's not, not a believer a service for someone that you know for sure wasn't a believer. Now, obviously, some of those, you've, you maybe have attended services like that, and there's just no mention of faith, and there's no mention of, of hope and eternity and afterlife. Uh, but for some, there's that, that little glimmer of hope that, that maybe, maybe they'll pass away and, 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 and not be with Christ in eternity, but there's something that will happen over the course of history, over the course of time, that will allow that person to, to be saved. Um, and so there's that hopeful universalism. And so I, I think that for us as believers, it, it's this one, uh, it's, it's hard to because there, there's no, there's no, there's not much, if any, science or region, reason or, or logical discussion that has to happen to kind of counter these arguments. I think these arguments are countered with two things. 
The argument of, of, of hell is, is final and God just wouldn't do it that way. The argument that God can't be both loving and just. The argument that, that God was wrathful in the Old Testament and now He's humble and meek in the person of Jesus in the New. The argument of God wouldn't choose or, or wouldn't give someone the choice to go to hell. And then, of course, the argument of universalism. All of those potential arguments that we may hear about hell, I think the two biggest responses for us are this. One, we have to really truly understand what happened to Jesus leading up to and on and just after the cross. And so we're going to talk about that for just a minute. And then the last thing that's not in your notes that I'm just going to share with you is I think just like we've talked about over the last several weeks and for the next several weeks of this, knowing the truth, before we kind of got into each individual question, uh, one of the things we talked about at the very beginning of this, Jeff did a wonderful job uh, challenging us that the best apologetic is a Christian life lived out. And I think that, that this is really important for this, and I'll explain why I think it's important, particularly important for this discussion. So uh, the first thing is this. Uh, before Jesus went to the cross, He said this, Let this cup pass from me. Early Early church gospel readers would have really fully been able to understand this depiction of the turmoil that Jesus was facing. They would have understood that Jesus was preparing to drink, literally to drink down the righteous anger and judgment of God against sin on an epic scale. Jesus was preparing Himself to drink down the righteous anger and judgment of God against sin on an epic scale. You know, that kind of raises the question, what, what's, what's a more horrific thing for God to allow happen? Uh, the concept and the idea and the punishment and the suffering and the place in a place called hell uh, or, or what His own Son experienced on the cross? At least that question has been ruminating in my mind. And then when Jesus went to the cross, He was both the executioner and the condemned. See, when He went to the cross, He was fully man, but He was also fully God. So on the cross, He both took on the punishment for the sins of the world that He helped create, but He also had modeled the Christian life for, and then He died for those same people. And just before that, He had said, let this cup pass from Me if it's Your will. Obviously, He was fully obedient to His Father's will. And then we see from, from the New Testament Scriptures and the teachings of Jesus that Jesus will judge all humanity. Jesus, been, Jesus Himself talked more about judgment than any of the Old Testament prophets. The early church was so expectant of Christ's return because it was something that Jesus talked about a lot. And you see that in some of the frustrations and some of the correspondence between Paul and some of the churches. You see that, that yearning for Christ's return yearning for that day of, of, of all things being set right before God. And here, 2,000 years later, uh, we're still yearning for that day. The fourth thing we see about the cross is that Jesus is not separable from God. The wrath of God is the wrath of Jesus the Lamb. Jesus went to hell for us, but hell couldn't hold Him. And today, we serve Jesus the living God, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. So that's something I think is so powerful about the cross is that, that the wrath that He took on was the wrath that, that He desired to pour out over us, the wrath that we deserve. And then the last one, Jesus is not separable from us. Uh, but for us to experience that, we have to place our trust in Him. 
I know that, that, that many, if not all of you in this room, and I hope that those that are watching online later this week or next week, that that's true for you as well, uh, that you've come to a time and a place in your life uh, when you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so I think that those, those five things are really important for us to see. I want to get to my page here and remind you of those because I think that, that understanding the cross helps us understand a little more the reality of hell. Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. He's both the executioner and the condemned. Jesus will judge all humanity. He's not separable from God and He's not separable from us. But I think even more importantly than having some information uh, to respond to, to a potential question or a potential discussion about someone wrestling with the idea of hell and the concept that a loving God would also show, show judgment, uh, that, that a loving God would also cast judgment down on someone and that there will be people, there are people already and there will be people who will spend their entire eternity separated from God. I think that for us, being a Christian is, 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 is not fire insurance. Uh, one of the popular authors on the idea that a loving God wouldn't send people to hell is a man, I mentioned him earlier, a man named Rob Bell. Uh, he may very well be one of the people on the leading edge of, of the movement that has become semi-popular among young people, my generation and younger, um, now even growing into some older generations of people claiming to deconstruct their faith. Uh, and, and really walking away from, and some of them, uh, not just organized religion, not just the church, but walking away from their faith completely. Uh, and, and much of what that movement goes to goes back to uh, popular pastors and, and preachers and speakers who, who strayed from God's Word and started sharing things that are not true. And, and his argument, as I shared earlier, was that, that hell is referenced in the Bible. What we've talked about tonight, a place that's real, a place of suffering, a place of separation from God, a place of darkness, a place of fire, a place where, where those that who do not know Christ are gone, uh, are sent to be punished uh, for that sin of, of rejection of Christ as our Lord and Savior, that, that he believed it was more just the suffering that we endure in this life. He called them, he said, hell is more a bunch of living hells that we go through. And a lot of times there are times maybe we're serious, sometimes we're joking that you're making my life a living hell. That, that phrase has probably been uttered by, by more than one person in this room or at least thought in our heads. Or, or, or somebody else, you, you, you know, you're, you know, I don't want to make your life a living hell. We, we've said that before. We've been around people who've thought that before. And so the argument that I think can be made for this being partially true, uh, because hell in a sense means complete separation from God. At least that's kind of my Alan Armstrong idea of what hell is. Complete separation from God. And so there, there are a number of people that we, you and I know some of them today. They're, they're living in complete separation from God. Their sin has separated them from God and they are, they are living in a state of hell, an existence of hell today. The good news is for them, the good news is for us, especially if those are people that we know well and that we love, is that as long as there's breath in their lungs, there's hope that they have that they can one day come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So I, I would argue and I would challenge you with this, that one of our best apologetics against the argument uh, that a loving God wouldn't send people to hell is a Christian life lived fully in faith and obedience to Jesus. And the people living that life are walking with God. They're experiencing His presence right now in this life. Some days it's more, more vibrant, more vivid, more pronounced than others. 
But then one day, those people who know Christ as their Savior, who are experiencing that fullness today, will experience it even more complete and full in an indescribable way. Uh, And so I hope that we will point people to Jesus today by living like Him today and not just waiting for that time, that moment, that opportunity when this world ends or our life ends in this world and we are ushered into the the heavenly eternity that is waiting for those who, who, who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have been obedient and followed after Him, but that we would live in that reality today and that others around us would know and see that and they would desire that for their lives. And so they would see that, you know, it's not just, not, not just what I'm being saved to uh, for eternity, but, but, but giving my life over to Jesus Christ is, is saving me from, from, from hell in the present life and saving me from that, that suffering and that sorrow and that pain uh, that happens in our world today. And so I, I just want to, to leave you with that thought that, that I think with this, this specific topic, this specific question, how can a, can a loving God send someone to hell? I think the, the response, uh, yes, there's some things we can share from Scripture. Yes, there's some things we can share from personal testimony. But more than that, we can share our lives with people who are struggling with that. And we can share the hope that we have uh, about uh, a future uh, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but, but the hope that we have today and how that affects the decisions we make, how that affects the way we view what's going on in the world, what's going on in our own lives, and what's going on in the lives of those around us. And so I want to say thank you uh, for being here tonight, and I want to pray uh, that God would would use you this week, uh, before this week is over, uh, if you count the end of the week as Friday or Saturday, you've got either two or three days left, uh, that God would use you uh, to point somebody else to Jesus this week. So let me pray over you about that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just what we're what we're learning and, and what you're showing to us each week as we uh, wrestle with uh, the the different truths that people question about our faith, the different truths that people question about you and your nature. Uh, and God, we just thank you tonight and acknowledge that you are perfectly loving, uh, but you are also perfectly just. And we just thank you that you sent your Son Jesus Christ into this world that. The penalty that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve for our sin, He took that on obediently and faithfully and won victory over death and over hell when He rose again. And we thank You for that. We praise You for that. And we pray that that each one of us, uh, that, that we would actively look for ways to point other people to Jesus Christ. People in our own family who don't yet know Him as their Savior, our own schools, our own workplaces, our own neighborhoods, our community, acquaintances, those we have opportunities to have conversations with, and those that we've known for years, whoever it might be. God, just use us to point someone. And just I just pray that even this week, uh, for each one of us in this room, that, that in the next couple days, you would give us an opportunity to point somebody to your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this night. Pray that you'd be with us as we go from this place. Keep us safe. Uh, use us for your glory. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.